Tonight, we're going to be studying from the Bible in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bible tonight, I wish you would open it to that passage of Scripture. I want to talk to you tonight about what happens when Jesus passes by. Now, that phrase itself might confuse you or startle you or make you think, now, what do you mean when Jesus passes by? I thought Jesus was always here. And the phrase, when Jesus passes by, makes me think that Maybe he's here, and then he's going to leave, and if he leaves, how is he still here? Well, we do know that God is always with us in a a general sense. Uh, Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he's right there in our midst. And even when we're alone, those of us who are saved, we have Jesus Christ living in our hearts. And so in that sense, God is always with us. But there's another sense in which God uh, is there at specific times to accomplish specific goals. Now, let me illustrate this. Think back to the time of your salvation. Many of you were saved in a church service. How many of you got saved at church? Would you just raise your hand? All right, that's about 80%, it looks like. So on the day or on the night that you got saved, let me ask you a question. Was that the first time that God had ever showed up at that church? Well, no. God had been there all along. But on the day or the night that you got saved, it was as though God came to your rope. God came to your pew, God came to your seat, and God the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and of your need for Jesus Christ, and you got saved. And so we could say it this way, on the day of your salvation and my salvation, Jesus was there wanting to save us, convicting us so that we would be saved. And so in that sense, Jesus was passing by. We could have said yes, or we could have said no. Those of us who said yes got saved. Now, if we could talk to people tonight who are in hell, Hades actually, but basically the same thing, if we could talk to them tonight and they could talk to us, they would say to us, what John is saying is right. There was a time they would say in my life when Jesus was passing by, when Jesus in a church, through a parent, through a spouse, through a neighbor, through a friend, Jesus was passing by, and the way to heaven was explained to me, and God convicted me of my sin and of my need to be saved, and how Jesus died on that cross so that anybody and everybody who would believe in him could be saved. Jesus was passing by, but on the day of the night that Jesus passed by, that person would say, I chose to say no to that. And so now they would say to us, from hell, it's too late for me. He came, he convicted, I said no, and he passed by. And so what I'm saying tonight is, there is a sense, certainly, in which God is always with us. Wherever we are, wherever I am, wherever you are, God is there. But there's another sense when there are times in our lives when Jesus Christ is passing by. He's passing by to convict us and to save us. Many times he's passing by to reveal something to us. Many times he is passing by to deliver us from something we're going through in our life, some sin, some bondage, some fear, some burden. And Jesus is passing by. And when Jesus is passing by in that sense, what do we have to do? We have to carpe diem. We have to seize the day, and we have to make the most of that opportunity. Now, in our Scripture tonight, we read about a blind man who lived in Jericho. Jericho was several miles down from Jerusalem, and on this particular day that we're going to be reading about, Jesus, the Bible says, was passing through Jericho. 
Well, as he passed through, the blind man who wanted more than anything in life to be able to see, the blind man heard that Jesus was passing by. There was commotion. He couldn't see Jesus, but he could sense his presence. And he began to cry out, and he has this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus restored his sight, and it was a tremendous miracle. But we learned some things from this passage that we can easily apply to our lives on those occasions, and maybe tonight it's for you. Maybe tonight in this Wednesday night worship service, Jesus is passing by and he wants to do something in your life that could absolutely change everything about your life. So we'll be in Luke 18 and we'll begin reading in verse number 35. Then it happened as Jesus was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him, now watch this phrase, that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. He couldn't see Jesus, he was blind, but he could sense something was happening. He could hear the crowd, and no doubt he could sense the very presence of Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. But Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And so there it is, the blind man in Jericho. Jesus was passing by. He wasn't going to stay in Jericho forever. This man had an opportunity. He had a sliver of time to make the most of the presence of Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you tonight is the same is true for us. There are those times in life. There are those opportunities in life. Maybe they're rare. Maybe they're more frequent than we might realize. When Jesus is passing by and when Jesus says to us, I know what it is that you're going through. I know what it is that you're facing. I understand your situation better than you do. But I'm passing by tonight and I'm passing by in power. And I'm passing by and delivering strength. And some of you may be confused and asking a question, or you're curious, or you're wondering about something. And Jesus is saying, I have the answer to that question. And I will answer that question if you will make the most of the opportunity that I'm giving you. I'm passing by tonight, and I want to do something fantastic in your life. Now, as I've read this passage and thought about it, and thought about the moments that we would spend together tonight, I have jotted down five things that happen when Jesus passes by. Five things that happen, and I want to just mention these, and uh, we printed them in the bulletin for you tonight. I wasn't even sure whether that would be helpful, but I thought, well, maybe they would enjoy following along and filling in the blanks, and maybe when you leave here in a few minutes, it would be something you could take with you, and you can reflect on it when you get home. You can think about it, and, and maybe you can think, is Jesus passing by in my life tonight? Is Jesus wanting to do something for me that could liberate me, that could remove guilt off of me, that could take fear out of my life? Is Jesus wanting to answer a question in my life maybe that I've been asking for a long, long time? Well, I can't tell you for sure, but it just may be that that's exactly what he wants to do. And so five things that I want to say 
about when Jesus passes by. First of all, you'll sense it. When Jesus passes by, when God has something that he wants to do in your life, you will sense it. This blind man sensed it. He sensed noise. He sensed commotion. He sensed excitement. And I believe he even sensed the presence of Jesus Christ. You know, if we would have been him, even if we, could have, even if we had sight and we could have seen when Jesus passed through our town, when Jesus passed through our, we're out on our front porch and there's Jesus walking down the street, we would have sensed a presence. You know, when, when somebody lives their life in the presence of God, when you're in their presence, you can sense that. I've told you before how when I was nine years old in the summer of 1979, our family lived in East Tennessee at that time, and the Southern Baptist Convention that year was in Houston at the Astrodome. And so that year, my father and I came. He used to rotate which years. One year I went, one year he would take my brother, and it rotated back and forth. So I'm nine years old, flying to Houston with my dad to attend the Southern Baptist Convention. First time I'd ever been to Houston. We went to Astroworld. I can still remember that. We rode rode Grease Lightning. I can still remember that. And the highlight of that week for me was that we were down by one of the hotels down there, and I'm nine years old, and I'm with my dad, and I sensed something special was happening. And I sensed there were a group of men, and they were passing by, but I sensed there were groups of people everywhere, but I sensed in this group there was something extra special. And I said, Dad, what's going on? What is, what is this? And he looked up and he said, John, you're not going to believe it, but that's Billy Graham and his team. And at, even at nine years old, I knew all about Billy Graham, and I could just sense his presence. And so I remember kind of getting up as close as I could. I was more fascinated by Billy Graham than I was Grease Lightning at Astroworld. And I can remember looking up at him, and he, I caught his eye, and he looked down, and he got down on his knee, and he, shook, he took out his hand, and he shook my hand, and he said, my name's Billy. What's your name? And I said, I can't remember anymore because, uh, no, I told him, I said, my name's John. And he shook my hand, and I don't remember. I mean, I was, it's been so long ago, but patted me on the shoulder, on the head, and said, John, I'm proud of you. God's got something planned for you. I don't remember what all he said, but I just remember there was a presence. And I've had other experiences like that in my life. I can remember in 2004, I flew to Knoxville. I flew to Knoxville, of course, living here at that time, and I rented a car. I was by myself, and I drove to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge to spend a week And I was attending a conference that one of my favorite pastors was speaking at, Charles Stanley from Atlanta. He was there, and the Greater Vision, the singing group that's been here many times, they were singing at this, and he was speaking. And so the conference was taking place at a particular hotel, and I was staying in Gatlinburg, and the the meeting was taking place in Pigeon Forge. And so I had gone to the hotel, checked in, driven to the uh, Pigeon Forge, and I'd gotten there early because I just wanted to just take it all in. And so I remember when I got there, and not many people were there yet, and then as it got closer to the time, more and more people were gathering, and I kept looking around, where's Dr. Stanley? Where's Dr. Stanley? I want to see him and, and uh, just kind of see how he operates with people in, in, in this environment even before he gets up to preach. And I can remember standing. I know this means more to me than it does you because I can still see this and feel this, and I'm trying to describe it to you. It was a cold November night, and I was standing by a door on the out, to the back of me was the parking lot, And the door opened, and I just sensed a presence. And I looked over, and it was Dr. Stanley, and it was some of his team. And he just walked by. And I didn't say anything to him. I just watched. 
But I just knew in that moment that I was in the presence of somebody who knew God and somebody who loved God. And so I think that blind, now this, I'm talking about preachers for God, ministers of God, servants of God. On this day, when the blind man sent something going through, someone going through Jericho, it wasn't a representative of God. It was God in the flesh. And he could sense that. And I'm saying to you tonight, when God gets ready to speak to you, when God got ready to save you, some of you tonight, when God, he may want to save you tonight, and he's passing by in convicting power. You say, well, I don't think I'll get saved tonight. I'll get saved next week. I'll get saved Sunday. I'll get saved next Wednesday. First of all, that's a foolish thing. You don't know you're going to be alive next Sunday or next Wednesday. And secondly, if you're being convicted tonight, you have no promise that God will convict you then. A person can't just get saved whenever they want to get saved. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. In Genesis chapter 6, God said, my spirit will not strive with with man forever. Romans chapter 1, God said there comes a point in people's life where he gives them up. And I heard about a man years ago who was going to church up in Dallas and and uh, he, w- he was an unsaved man. He was a carnal man. He was a worldly man. But he got curious about God. So he started going to church. And while he was going to church, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, the preaching of the gospel taking place, and the man understood everything. He knew all he knew to, knew to get saved. And yet he fell under such conviction, and he thought, well, if I get saved, that means there are certain things that I do in my life. I'm not going to be able to do them anymore. But every Sunday when that man went to hear that preacher preach, the conviction of God fell on him. And when the invitation was given, he just, he just would stand and he would grip that pew in front of him. And he'd get those white knuckles because he didn't want to go forward. And, but he just felt that conviction. Every Sunday he went to church, he felt that conviction. And yet he was meeting nice people at church. It was a good social opportunity. He was learning some things, helping him live his life a little bit better. And he prayed, this is a true story, he prayed this prayer when I said, God... I don't want to stop coming to church because I'm meeting people. I'm developing more friends. It's good for me. I'm learning things. But God, every time that man preaches and explains the need to be saved and sin and righteousness and pursuing God and changing my life and turning it all over to God and repentance and leaving some things behind, he said, God, I just have this miserable, heavy, oppressive feeling of conviction that comes over me. And he said, God, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor tonight. He said, God, I'm going, to ask, I'm going to keep coming to church, but I'm going to ask you, God, please don't ever convict me like that again. And that man's testimony was he went to church the next Sunday and the next Sunday and for several more Sundays after that, and he heard the same preacher from the same pulpit preach the same gospel, and yet when the gospel was preached, he felt absolutely no conviction. Why? Because God had left him alone. Let me tell you something. When God leaves you alone, you're in a dangerous place. The most miserable person in life is somebody whom God has left alone, whom God has, God's spirit will not strive with you forever. And so I'm saying when that moment comes, you'll sense it. You'll know in your heart. Sometimes in my own life, I'm having a quiet time. Now, I try to have one most days. I try to have one every day to some extent. But sometimes I'm having a quiet time and I just sense in my heart God is speaking and God is saying something to me and I know that he's here. And that's the same. So you'll just sense it. You'll know it in your heart. Like tonight, right now, you should already know it. If God is speaking to you directly tonight about some area in your life, I've been talking long enough already on this, from this scripture. If Jesus is passing by tonight, you already know it, that Jesus is speaking for you, that you're thinking, man, this, I think God's got something to say to me, and I don't know, might not know what it is, but I just sense the presence of God in this place and in my midst tonight. Second thing that will happen when Jesus passes by, not only will you sense it, but you'll become aware that he has the solution 
to your problem. He has the solution to your problem. Now, there is a sense in which Jesus is the solution to all of our problems. I understand that. But there's another sense where sometimes we have a problem and he has the solution. He has what it is that we need. Now, the blind man knew that Jesus was there in saving power and that Jesus was the solution to his problem. Now, sometimes we have these problems in life and they're so complex and so complicated in our mind. And we wonder, well, I always have this problem. Will I always worry about this thing that I'm worrying about? Or will I always be heavy laden with guilt or with fear? And, and we have these problems. And, and so many times in life when we have a problem, we focus on the problem. But I've noticed this. When God gets ready to show us the solution to the problem, when he gets ready to lift something off of us, even though it may be something we've struggled with for years and years and years, and even though it may be something that we've convinced ourselves we may struggle with this all the way to the grave, when God gets ready to deliver us from that problem, more often than not, at least in my experience, he does it just like that. Now, I'll give you an example, not necessarily of how this happened to me last night, but I heard something last night that did speak to me, and uh, it kind of, I mean, I just never had heard it said this way, but I want to just give you the sentence. And I got home last night and, and uh, had a bite to eat and was doing some things around the house. And I don't know, I guess it was God. I just got on my phone and I was kind of playing around. And I pulled up a preacher, a sermon. And uh, I don't even, I had no plan on listening to any preaching last night, but I did. I pulled up this sermon. And in the middle of the sermon, the, the, the name of the sermon was, When Our Burdens Seem Unbearable. And I thought, well, that's an interesting title for a sermon. I believe I'll listen to it. And so the whole sermon was about that. From In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Man had a whole sermon on that. And he made a statement in the middle of the sermon that was so powerful that later on last night I got my little notebook. I don't always write things down in a notebook or a diary or a journal, but every now and then if I have something really good, I'll write it down. And he made this statement, and I'm going to make it tonight because this, this statement right here may be the one thing that God uses tonight. Maybe Jesus is passing by tonight in your case, and maybe Jesus is about to use this sentence to set you free. Here's what the pastor said last night. He said, you have to get to a place in your life. Now watch this. You listen, say amen. This is good, what I'm telling you. Where you focus on the burden bearer and not on the burden. Now you think about that. He said, you know, in life we all have burdens. We all have problems. He said, but what I've noticed is this. The more we focus on the problem, the bigger the problem gets. The more we focus on the burden, the heavier the burden becomes. But if we can take our focus off of the burden and put our focus on the burden bearer, then the burden goes away. And he went on to say this. He said, you can tell where your focus is by listening to your own prayers. He said, if in your prayers you're always talking about your burden and you're always talking about your problem and you're always saying, God, now here's what it is, here's, what it is, here's what's going on, here's how I feel, God help me with this, deliver me from that. He said, you're focused on your burden. All you're doing is talking about your burden. But he said, if in your prayers you hear yourself saying, God, I just want to tell you today, I thank you that you're bigger than my burden. God, I thank you that you have a solution to my problem. God, I thank you that you're greater than what it is I'm facing. And God, I thank you that your grace is much bigger than this, and you're going to see me through this, and you're going to deliver. He said, if you're doing that, you're focusing on the burden bearer. And he said, when you focus on the burden bearer 
Instead of focusing on the burden, it's just a matter of time until that burden lifts off of you. And that's what God wants to do. Jesus came to destroy yokes and to remove burdens. And so you'll become aware that he has a solution to your problem. And I'm telling you that tonight. Whatever it is you may be troubled about, there's a divine answer to that problem. A third thing that we notice when Jesus passes by, there will always be somebody or something trying to prevent you from making contact with Jesus Christ. Now look back, and we're in chapter 18. Look back again in verse number 38. And so the man cried out, and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He had a problem. He had a burden. But he's turning to the burden bearer, and he's asking for that burden to be lifted. He's asking for his sight. He's doing the right thing. But look in verse 39. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. Can you imagine that? A blind man asking Jesus to restore his sight. He no doubt had heard that Jesus could, had done things like this before, and he believed he could do it in his case. But as he's crying out, for this miracle to be performed, there are others in the crowd, neighbors, friends, people in, the, in this big group, and that shh, 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 this is Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's got lots of big things to do. Shh, you're annoying him. He's, we're talking, shh, 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 shh. And what were they doing? They were trying to prevent that man from making contact with Jesus Christ. I've noticed this. When Jesus is passing by, there'll always be something. There'll always be somebody. There'll always be some issue. There'll always be some controversy. There'll always be something. And I'll tell you what it is. It's the devil behind the scene. Do you know the name devil, our English word devil, comes from the Greek word diabolos. Diabolos is a noun. But diabolos shares a root, a Greek root word with a verb, a Greek verb, uh, and the, the root of that verb literally means to split. To split. Who is the devil? He's the splitter. He's the divider. He's the wedge driver. The devil is always the one trying to keep people from getting to the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening in this man's case. He's crying out, asking for a miracle, and some in the crowd were trying, shh, 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 shh. Don't bother Jesus. Don't, he has more important things to do than to help you. And so I would say to you tonight, you may be here, you think, you know, John, I do sense in my life, and I don't, I don't think this would be everybody here. I don't. I hope it would, but I don't know that it would. But I would say maybe 40, 50, 60, 70% of the people here tonight may say, you know, I kind of sense that Jesus is passing by, and I do believe he has a solution to my problem. But, you know, and maybe you come up with something in your own mind that would make you think, well... I don't really know if he can solve this problem or meet this need or do this thing in my life. Let me tell you, that's the, that's the devil whispering in your ear. That's the devil getting in your head. And that's the devil trying to split and divide and drive a wedge between you and the person of Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you something else I've noticed when Jesus passes by. Not only these things, but I've also noticed that your cry for help will get his attention. Your cry for help will get his attention. Look at it again. In verse 38, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. At the end of verse 39, son of David, have mercy on me. Look at verse 40. Now, this man's crying out. He's petitioning. He's calling on the name of the Lord. Look at verse 40. So Jesus stood still. Isn't that interesting? At the beginning of the story, Jesus is passing by. The man finds out about it. He calls out to Jesus. He, we would say he's praying now. And his cry 
got God's attention, got Christ's attention, and now Jesus is standing still, and Jesus is listening to this man. Now, notice this: what happens. So Jesus now is standing still, not just passing by, standing still. He is on this man's row. He is in this man's pew. He's standing still because he sees that this man is calling out, and Jesus certainly can hear that. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him, and when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? So the first thing Jesus did, he listened to him. And the next thing Jesus did, he talked to him, and he asked him a question. And he said, what is it you want me to do for you? And the man said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And so it's interesting. When we recognize our need... When we sense the presence of God passing by in a special way, and when we call out to him asking for help of any kind, what does that do? It gets God's attention, and it causes Jesus to stand still. And when he stands still, what does he do? He listens to us. He he hears what we're saying. He talks to us. And I think about times in my life, just like in your life, but I can only use my illustrations here, but I can think of times in my life when I have maybe been thinking about something or confused about something or maybe troubled about something, and I've been praying about it. This doesn't happen every time I pray, but sometimes it does. Jesus passed by. I can remember an experience I had in September of 2018. That's been about three and a half years ago now. And I woke up one morning, and I was just lying in bed, and I was thinking about what I was thinking about, and I was praying about it a little bit, and just kind of in a spirit of meditation. And as I was just thinking about that and praying about that before I even started my day, I felt like God spoke to my heart something very unusual. I felt like God said to me, go in the study, take the little booklet, 31 Timeless Truths that we had made available years before, and I had a copy at my house, and I felt like God said, read today's reading. Well, that was strange because normally if I'm working through something, a 31-day devotional book, I wouldn't start on day 26. I would start on day one. <laughs> be the way I would do it. Normally I would say, well, I'll just wait till the first of the month. And then I, would, I've never, I don't think I've ever done that before. I went in the study. I got the booklet. I opened it up. It was the 26th of September. I read day 26. I can't even remember what the timeless truth is for that day. And it had about 10 or so verses underneath it. So I'm reading the verses. Here's the verse. Here's the verse. I got to a verse that morning out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I read that verse, and as soon as I read that verse, the Holy Spirit, just clearly as I'm talking to you right now, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that verse is the answer to your question. Just gave it to me like that. And that's been three and a half years ago, and when I was preparing the sermon today, my mind went back to that. Now, here's look at the point. Your cry for help will get his attention. It will cause him to stop, and when he stops, what is he going to do? He's going to listen He wants to hear what you have to say. And not only is he going to listen, he's going to speak. And he's going to tell you what you need to hear. And he will provide the solution to whatever problem it is that you are facing. Now, the pastor I was hearing talk about this last night, he made an interesting statement. He said, sometimes in life we have a problem. And God will allow us to have that problem for a long time. Just The problem doesn't go away. The burden doesn't lift. The situation doesn't change. And he said, when you get in a situation like that, remember this. God is allowing that problem to remain in your life for a purpose. You may not know what that purpose is, but there is a purpose for it. 
And as soon as that purpose has been fulfilled, as soon as you have learned and grown and developed and experienced whatever God had in mind for you when he allowed you to have that problem, when that's all over with, that burden will lift and that problem will be gone. He said, so some problems last a long time. He said this, and I thought about it, and I agree with what he said. He said, but more often than not, when we bring our burdens to Jesus, he lifts those burdens just like that. Now, why is that? Because most of our burdens are not circumstantial burden. Most of our burdens are internal. It's us. It's a thought process. It's a sin. It's a fear. It's a worry. It's anxiety. It's whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances. It may be fueled by our circumstances, but the problem itself is within us. And when we bring that burden to Jesus, give it to him, and then trust him with it, And proceed in life as though the problem is now in his hands and not in ours. That burden will lift immediately. So I'll give you that nugget tonight. You ought to think about that. When you have, and maybe tonight you've come in here with something. It's it's not cancer. That could take longer. It's not a job situation. That could take longer. It's not a relationship dynamic. That could take longer. It's not financial. That could take longer. For you, it's mental. It's emotional. It's spiritual. It's, it's within you. The pastor said last night, and I agree with him, more often than not, those burdens, if brought to Jesus, given to Jesus, and entrusted to Jesus, those problems can be gone just like that. Now, you think about that. What does that mean? <laughs> that means tonight that if you're having one of those type issues, it is possible for you in the next few minutes to have that burden lifted and to have that problem solved before you walk out the back door and go home. And I would say if that happened tonight, you've had a pretty good experience at the house of God. Now, let me mention one other thing about when Jesus passes by, and that is this. You have an opportunity to connect your faith with his provision. You have an opportunity to connect your faith, and that's what this blind man did. He knew that Jesus could could give him sight. He knew that. You see, that's faith. Before he even called out to Jesus, he knew, he had faith to believe, Jesus can restore my sight. You have to have that faith. You have to believe tonight, if you're having one of those issues that I've described, that Jesus Christ has the ability to solve that problem, to lift that burden, and to change that situation. It's interesting, yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of preaching a funeral for a lady Her first name is Virginia. Virginia was 94 years old. And it was a beautiful service. And the reason they asked me to do it is because several years ago, I had gotten to know her. And the first time that I can ever remember meeting her was at the Tuesday Bible lunch. She showed up. Somebody introduced me to her. And I always locked her name in my mind because her name was the name of a state. And so every time I saw her, even though I couldn't remember what her name was, in my mind, I would always say, it's a state. And there's only so many states. You can't name somebody. Well, I was going to say Tennessee, but Tennessee Williams, you can do that. Can't, I, most states are not names. But Virginia, always come to me. Oh, Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. So she and I struck up a little friendship there. She called me one day, and she said, John, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. And so we talked. We set up a time to talk, and we did. And she said, at that time, she said, John, I'm, I, believe, I believe she was 91 years of age. And she said, you know, John, at 91, I'm not getting any younger. And she said, "Uh, there's something I've never done in my life that I need to do. 
before it gets too late. I said, what have you never done? She said, I've never been baptized. And I said, well, we can certainly handle that. We can get you scheduled, and we can have you baptized. And uh, I said, but now, Virginia, before we get up there and go through all that uh, ordeal and, and uh, all that's involved in baptism, I said, I want to make sure you understand something. I want to make sure that you're clear on this point. Getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Getting baptized is what you do after you get to be a Christian to show everybody that you are a Christian. She said, no, I, I do understand that. And she said, John, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the second thing that I wanted to talk to you about. I didn't know how to get into that part, but now you've made that easy. She said, John, this whole salvation issue, she told me how she was raised, and she told me that she believed in God, and she believed Jesus died on the cross. And, you know, she was orthodox, we would say, in her faith. But she said, John, as, as it is for my own salvation, she said, I would have to be honest with you and say, I'm not 100% sure that I'm saved. And she said, I do realize that I need to get that settled before I get baptized. And she said, what I'm wondering is, before we schedule my baptism, could you help me get sure that I'm saved? And I did, and we prayed. And she was one of the happiest converts I've ever seen in all my life, 91 years of age to get saved. And that Sunday she got baptized. If you were in that particular service that week, uh, you remember, I, I think she pretty well got a standing ovation. or at least, If not standing, she got a very lively ovation. People just celebrating that. And yesterday, as I was with her family, whom I really largely did not know, I conveyed that story to them. Some of them were at her baptism. And I said to them yesterday, I said, you know, Virginia lived a long life, 94 years of age. And she did a lot of things and she had a lot of experiences. I said, but the greatest thing she ever did, she did three years ago when she connected her faith to the person of Jesus Christ and got saved. Changed everything. Changed the rest of her life and it changed her eternity and it changed how her family is now dealing with her death. I want to ask you tonight, has there ever been a time in your life where you connected your faith with the person of Jesus Christ, where you realized you only have one hope of heaven? It's not your good life, it's not your church membership, and it's not your willingness to obey to try to keep the Ten Commandments or the Golden Rule. It is instead doing what this man did calling out to Jesus Christ, asking Him to save you, trusting Him to do it, and letting Him change your life.